Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. But through it all, we must remember that God's love was steadfast and always ready to bring them back. Let us continue Gideon's story and attend to these words in Judges 8, verses 22 through 35. The Israelites said, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson. You have saved us from Midian's tyranny. Gideon said, I most certainly will not rule over you, nor will my son. God will reign over you. Then Gideon said, but I do have one request. Give me each of you an earring that you took as plunder. Ishmaelites wore gold earrings and all the men had their pockets full of them. They said, of course, they're yours. They spread out a blanket and each man threw his plundered earrings on it The gold earrings that Gideon had asked for weighed about 43 pounds. And that didn't include the crescents, the pendants, the purple robes worn by the Midianite kings, and the ornaments hung around the necks of their camels. Gideon made the gold into a sacred ephod and put it on display in his hometown of Ophrah. All Israel prostituted itself there Gideon and his family, too, were seduced by it. Midian's tyranny was broken by the Israelites. Nothing more was heard from them. The land was quiet for 40 years in Gideon's time. Jerubbaal, son of Joash, went home and lived in his house. Gideon had 70 sons. He fathered them all. He had a lot of wives. His concubine, the one at Shechem, also bore him a son. He named him Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age. He was buried in the tomb of his father Joash of Ophrah, of the Abiuzites. Gideon was hardly cool in the tomb when the people of Israel had gotten off track and were prostituting themselves to Baal. They made Baal the covenant, their God. The people of Israel forgot all about God, their God, who had saved them from all their enemies, who had hemmed them in, and they did not keep faith with the family of Jeroboam, Gideon, honoring all the good he had done for Israel. The word of the Lord. I appreciate that you all laughed when you were listening to the earlier scripture reading. It shows not only that you're listening, but it also goes to the fact that we chose a little bit of a different version of the Bible today to help us explain what we're about. 
Uh, it does come from the message, which is the translation we use sometimes. It was developed a little bit later in you know, the grand scheme of biblical narratives um, in the late 90s by a man named Eugene Peterson who was trying to attempt to get to uh, some more common language behind some of these biblical truths that we have so that once you heard it, you understood the story a little bit more fully. I like to choose it when we're using a story, a story that needs those, you know, little colloquialisms, little things that help us understand, because otherwise the story of Gideon is a little bit hard to understand. For our New Testament lesson, I chose the classic NRSV, and so I'm grateful for us to listen to these words for your ears this morning. It comes from John chapter 16, 17 through 20. This one's not a laughing matter. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying to us, A little while, and you'll no longer see me. And then again, a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father? They said, What does he mean by this, a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, A little while, and you will no longer see me, and again, a little while, you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will meet, weep, and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn to joy. Would you pray with me? O oh Lord, our God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to get to know you a little bit more and understanding that it is you that comes out in every single page and every single story that is written in this wonderful book and also in our lives today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight, our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. Our scripture for today uh, captured two goodbye moments. First, we have Gideon, who saved the people of Israel out of the hands of the Midianites, and for 40 years they were brought peace before his death, and as we have learned, the cycle of Israel without a king, and again they stray from God. The second one is capturing the emotions of the disciples. And it's only to be described as a joy that comes after sorrow. After the pain, on the other side, there will be joy. It is a scripture that has again and again been cherished by Christians, especially in times of distress and suffering, because of the great hope that it carries. When I grew up, you could probably qualify me as a church kid. Every single person that I knew uh, probably was Christian, or at least they had some essence of Christian faith. I even went to a Christian school from fourth grade through um, high school. Only a 10-year-old is really familiar with the colloquialisms of chancel and Pentecost and can use them in a daily basis. It became part of my identity. Um, something else that became part of my identity, and perhaps this is true of you in a Christian world growing up, is that you have these ideas that is this is how a Christian is, acts and believes. And it went from everything, from sexuality and modesty to how we spend our time and our money. And there were even some condemnations in there, particularly regarding, particularly regarding sexuality and financial. 
Now, maybe my parents didn't uh, you know, share this exactly with me, but they had some sort of a worry growing up that would their children remain Christian? And I think that's an honest worry. Many families have felt the division that comes from children or households being divided because of not being Christian anymore. Now, I remember that my parents were extremely proud when I said that I was going to go to seminary. Not only was I going to be a Christian, but I was going to be a professional Christian. And it wasn't something that I was always so proud of. Fully aware of the Christian stigma in the world, I lost my self-confidence. I have heard many apologize to me for cussing or being awkward at dinner parties, um, and especially arguing with me about how they should go to church more often, but they just haven't, and la da la la la. <laughs> you guys are here, A+, plus, and you too. So assuming my beliefs and um, some people would just stop talking to me. Um, so after that, I toned down my Jesus thing. I stopped telling people what I did for a living. There was even uh, a moment of maturity in my faith that comes from this time and the experience. And I'm, I'm grateful for that time. And I got to think and grow and develop and grow up. And there was a time when I had some conscientious time on developing a Bible study. And so I was preparing for it, and I was taken aback by how often Jesus interacted with outsiders, non-Jews of the faith. And Jesus encountered them with love, always love, and wanting to develop a relationship with them and wanting to transform their life in the new way, and Jesus did. Time and time again, the law was transformed into a new way. It wasn't all about living the good life to get into heaven. It was also about transforming this world that we live in here and today. This isn't what I experienced when I grew up, and it started making sense to me. People that I know that didn't grow up with a faith and didn't have extensive knowledge of faith, so I continued my studies. And so whenever I was home uh, with my dad, I really enjoyed having theological conversations with him and discussed what I learned. And one day we talked about these messages that I had growing up about um, don't do this and do this. Things about modesty, shame about making church a priority, and even condemnation of people that were struggling with their sexuality. And even the way I say it was an archaic way of saying it and how I had come to some new understandings, and I waited to see his face. He said, you're getting a good education. You're studying, and sometimes you're gonna know better than I am. And that day, I got a piece of direction from God. I heard clearly, God said, I want you to be a person who teaches the true teachings of Jesus. And it's an honor and a privilege, and my hope that I bring a sense of wonder about who God is and God's work, and I wondered that as we studied Gideon these past couple of weeks. In retelling Gideon, um, we understand that this summer we're looking at the book of Judges, and there's a couple of different judges, Deborah first, and then Gideon, and then I'll wait, you'll wait to hear what's coming up next. 
But this is a whole cycle of idolatry, and you're familiar with this. The people were with God, and they had some sort of a leader, one of these judges, and as soon as that judge died, they fell back in idolatry and sin, and were away from God, and felt oppressed. We heard the ups and downs of Gideon as he prepared for the now great defeat of the Midianites, and Pauline introduced Gideon and his calling. And he was thrashing wheat, not above ground, because the Midianites would find him. He did it instead in the winepress, which is underground. And God calls him to tear down all of the altars to Baal. He did it in the darkness of night, so he wouldn't get caught. God is faithful and continues to release the Israelites from the Midianites. Then John picked up over the next couple of weeks Gideon preparing for battle, reluctantly. Testing God with that fleece. Remember, it needed to be dry and the ground around it wet, and then later he tested God a little bit more and he wanted the fleece wet and the ground around it dry. And I can't tell the difference between whether it was a true story or whether it was just a little bit of Hebrew comedic relief, but God is faithful and continues to release the Israelites from the Midianites. Then Gideon had too many in his army, God said, so he pared it down by saying, those who just didn't want to be there, go, and many did. And then he had this weird idea of have everyone go down to the water and drink, and those who cupped with their hands to make a bowl, they were out, and the ones who just lapped it up were in. God was faithful and continued on to release the Israelites from the Midianites. So with 300, a very low number, with confidence from God was with them, armed not with weapons, but with trumpets and pitchers and lanterns and their voices, God is faithful and continues to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. We've all come against, up against hard battles in our lives, and we've all wanted someone to be there with us. God is with us. Because it wasn't Gideon who was the hero of any of that story, or people, any of the stories. God is the hero. So we continue with today's scripture. The battle is won. The Israelites leaned on Gideon, and their request for him to be king is warranted. Gideon, in a moment of deep faith and wisdom, says, I'm not going to be your king and your lord. The Lord needs to be your Lord. Now, this is the highest moment of Gideon's time. His acknowledgement of God's sovereignty and his awareness of his own limitations as a human. What a mark of a true leader. What a brilliant moment for Gideon. But it doesn't stop there. It's hinged by the word, but. Gideon says, but. And he turns so quickly from praising God to trying to go on his own in this little conjunction, but. Gideon says, the Lord will rule over you, but give me some of your lootings that you earned from war. The Lord will rule over you, but let's make something to remind us of this moment. So he received almost 50 pounds, and he makes an ephod, which is basically a long vest or a garment that a priest would wear when they were doing priestly duties. I guess you can liken it to the robes that we put on. And it was something that they did and they put on, and it was something to point us towards God. You notice that our robes are all black, and it's something to just erase us so that you can just hear the word of God. Similarly, an ephod would have had this kind of tradition. 
But with 50 pounds of gold, this ephod wasn't weighed down by that. One commentator said that it's most likely a golden statue was made and the ephod was put on top. And you hear the echoing of a previous problem. There was an idol made. A golden statue, a golden calf, ring a bell. So we're not surprised at all that the people of, Ge of Israel forgot about God. And it says that their God who had saved them from all their enemies, they didn't even keep the faith of the family of Jerubbaal, Gideon, honoring all the good that he had done for Israel. So we're grateful for these wrap-up notes about this character Gideon, and they're included in the scriptures for a couple of reasons, and many that I won't even get to today. But it is to echo the moments when Moses went up on the mountain and had the Ten Commandments, and what went on with the Israelites at the base of the mountain? They were following the lead of Aaron, and he had created a golden calf. Golden calf, golden statue. And they both were taking people's focus and attention away from the one true God. Humans will forever be error-filled. And these wrap-up notes of Gideon also include um, a foretelling of that God is searching for a leader who will actually embody what Gideon articulated, Lord and ruler of all. And from a Christian point of view, many years later, we can look and go, I understand it wasn't just a judge or even a king like David that the Israelites need. The king that we truly all need is Jesus. The ending of the story of Gideon makes it clear for us that we are in need of a king. And not a king of human origin, but Jesus. One who came and was the absolute opposite of what our imagery of old would have been for a king. That we are in need of Jesus has been a part of the plan all along. And stories like Gideon directly point toward this greater arc of God's love story to us, that God cares for us, and that God is the hero of all of our stories. The Old Testament has plenty of characters like Gideon who are confronted with great opposition and win through violence, uncomfortable violence. A violent tribal mindset that God was better is how God had to be depicted in these Old Testament writings and compared to other gods of the time, like Baal. Because God wins wars against the enemy and acquires land, God always has the last word. But Jesus came to be a different kind of king, and they believed that Jesus was God's surprise and, part, and needed part to Israel's story. A surprise because Jesus was crucified, he was raised for the dead, and by anyone's standard of the time of a Messiah, they weren't supposed to die. Now remember in my story, there was a moment that I stopped telling people what I did for a living because saying that I was a pastor. And I think as I look back and I think about what it really was about those moments and those times of my particular life, it was because I lost the concept of what God does for the living. With Jesus as our king, we're called to be light in all of the dark places. We're called to be salt that makes everything taste good. We're called to be a pinch of yeast that is meant to make an entire loaf rise. Part of why I think the Israelites called out for a king and part of why I think it's so hard for the disciples to not have a Jesus to be with them any longer 
is that it's hard to be the salt and the light and the yeast in a world alone. And our recognition that God is the hero of that story and our stories and all stories will give us the what equipment we need to change this world. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.